his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora, Pirlo, di tacco, tiro, goal! seconds from Milan. I oh, would you believe it? Paolo Maldini, the skipper, has scored it. Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew, Santo, Joe, and Phil is back making his return to the show. Uh, We're going to do an EPL breakdown and recap here, and then we're going to have a separate episode come out most likely later on today or tomorrow with a full FIFA World Cup prediction and preview show along with, of course, the FIFA Netflix documentary that just came out. We're going to talk about that and kind of how it ties into the current World Cup now in Qatar and how that whole mess kind of developed and unfolded. But before we get to that, guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Uh, excited to dive in here. Excited to talk about the World Cup. Excited that Phil's here. Uh, yeah, excited to get into it. I just realized real quick that we have four Italians doing this episode right now, and there's no Italian team, obviously, in the World Cup. That's, uh, that's usually how it goes. It's tough. <laughs> but Italy played today. They did play against today. Albania. And? They're very important prestigious friendly and and they won there you go. three to one came back they were down one nothing three consecutive goals nice it's, it's all good, did we all play good. one it. more friendly that's the Italy. one more friendly and then we're good <laughs> did we play the big guns though or no yeah they did yeah yeah and sandro tonali almost broke his neck and it's great how <laughs> measured off in a useless friendly when they're fighting for the title but that's here nor there. <laughs> How many uh, Italy not making the World Cup jokes have you guys gotten so far? I've gotten a few already at my way. Tossed my way. Quite a few at school because oh, big yeah, Messi and Ronaldo fans. Of course, because there's so many like Portuguese and Argentinians yes. at your school, I would so, say. And I have a lanyard from 2006 when they won. <laughs> so Hanging my on Italian lanyard. And they're like, oh, your team's not in it. Like, yes, I know. No. Yeah, I've uh, dumb. I've gotten quite a few as well. Um, yeah, it's just we're. I, I don't think there's any up and down team as much as our national team. Um, for how excited and disappointed we can be in the span of two tournaments, I just don't know how you go from winning the Euros to not qualifying for the World Cup again. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's like literally the ultimate high is yeah. to the lowest of lows within two years, or what year and a half, whatever it is. Yeah. Like wow. And what? mostly the same team. Basically the same team. Basically pretty much the same team, yeah. Same squad. Same coach. What gives? <laughs> it's the Italian way. Oh god. Okay, well so we're gonna we'll get to whole uh World Cup preview and another episode with Sans Italy. Uh I'll probably focus mostly on Canada and England and you know, go through those groups and see uh, what we expect from that. But first of all, like I said before, EPL weekend wrap up. Last weekend of play before the World Cup break until the next matches get played on Boxing Day, I believe, is the first round of matches after the World Cup. But um, big headlines, I mean, in the last weekend before 
for mm-hmm. the big break. I think we talked about before a couple of trap games possibly this this weekend coming up with Man City playing against Brentford. Um, I kind of maybe allude to Arsenal playing against Wolves as a bit of a trap game, but they came out on top on that one. But the big shocker of the weekend would be Man City. Um, big unexpected loss to Brentford. Brentford scoring in the 90, what was it, 98th minute yeah. of injury time. Even Tony, I mean, two goals in this game. Doesn't yeah. get picked by England. Has some other controversy come up later on. Also, what, what was it, Phil? How many things did Tony get? What was his... Uh... 232... <laughs> regulation did you hear this breaches no. yeah the really? fa <laughs> he had over 232 infractions betting infractions but we just don't know what they were so it's pretty okay. impressive to only be under investigation now after doing it 232 times or whatever the number was oh so kind of like betting on his own games type thing yeah, I don't think this the specifics came out yet, but that could be a thing. If that's a thing, he's gone. Like he can't. Yeah, play. no, he's gonna. Maybe be that's why here. he didn't get called up to mm. Qatar. <laughs> Gareth Maybe. Southgate knew. Yeah, it could, and could he be. didn't want the negative publicity. Well, other than Harry Kane, he's the most informed striker, like from the English side. Callum Wilson's up there too. Actually, I think he has seven goals in twelve games. I think this year. Right. But Tony with ten goals in fourteen matches for a side like Brentford, like that's pretty damn impressive. Compared to what he's also done last year and also helping them get out of League One, I think, or the Championship, sorry, I think he had like 30 goals in the Championship season that they actually came out. So he scored a ton. And for only being 26, like I, I thought he would definitely get called up, but this could have been, you know, behind the scenes, I guess. Like we just didn't know about it till now um, as to why he didn't get picked. But yeah, 232 infractions, that's nuts. Like that's. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming uh, Southgate knew I probably at this point, so that could be the very reason why he didn't get picked. <laughs> Just such a big number. He's <laughs> 232 times. I know. It's not like it's one time. I know. It, yeah. I don't know. I just so he's been tracked. Like he's been like there's been like yeah, a like... following behind him. Like well, these things these things take time. We'll get into the FIFA documentary where like yeah. this is happening for like 20 years, but it takes time to like build an investigation like do you think he has like a 365 account just under a fake name and he's just like gets wire transferred all this money all the time i don't know that's crazy but yeah i mean with the whole man city game them losing 2-1 again unexpected result for them i don't even know if like did they even i don't think they even played that bad in the game it was just kind of very neutral game yeah i'd say it w- and then just on a counterattack in the last minute of the game, last kick of the game almost, I think. Yeah, like it was it was kind of weird. Like I think Man City were as good as they usually are in their final third in the middle of the field. Final third play was very off. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne was just like not making any yeah. passes. Gundogan missed a sitter. Yes. Not totally sure how that happened. Um, they just they just didn't seem clinical. I don't know how much it had to do with the World Cup coming up. Uh because obviously a lot of their players are going to that. Uh, yeah, they just they just couldn't execute in the final third, and they were pretty poor in, in that area of the field. And Brentford just took advantage, and they really brought it to them. So credit to, to Brentford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this, like Brentford had nothing to lose going into this game, clearly. Yeah. Like that's kind of how you have to have the mentality going against Man City almost every weekend. Like we have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Like if we get blown out 4 0. Like, it's not on that team playing bad. It's just Van City's, like, that good. Right. But if you go out and, like, play up to the competition, look what can happen. You know, you can pull a good result. But then last week with Fulham, 
they go well, that, city goes down a man. I know. And that, that was, Fulham was stupid. Look like they were down a man. Yeah, but again, you I think, think they would attack a little bit more. I know attack city means different things than yeah. other teams, but it seemed like they could have taken advantage last week and they didn't. Maybe I think Brentford was just a more experienced side than Fulham. Like Fulham's back in the Premier League for the first time this year. Brentford's been here now for two seasons. The coach has been here for two years now in the Premier League. I think maybe just the core is more experienced and like just know how to maybe mm-hmm. see out a win like that or see out a game where it's like really tight. Where Fulham just like they've, they've always been that way. Like Fulham's up and down in, in the Premier League to the Championship division like every five years it seems like. So I think maybe that game in particular it was just Fulham was running on adrenaline maybe and like they were getting caught out a couple of times. They were you know putting too much pressure even not even though the Institute was down to ten men. But I mean the goal that was given for for full or um for man city like the last minute of the game we talked about it last week like yeah bit of a makeup call they had to bit scrap of a make, that bit of a makeup call for sure i don't know <laughs> i honestly don't know what happened i mean i thought after city got their goal they were just gonna push on and you know seal the win but like santos said like everyone just teamed off de bruyne was particularly off which was interesting um halland they did defend halland pretty well they just didn't give him a lot of room there were some questionable there's a very fine line between defenders defending aggressively and like some of the stuff that was going on. Cause like there were some players, the Laporte one was surprising where like mm-hmm. Laporte was making that run and they like, just grabbed him. So I, the issue that comes up is if they, if teams start getting away with that, it's going to be like not the best um, because that makes it very, very easy to defend. If you just like put your arms around strikers now and prevent them from uh, scoring. But to Brentford's um, credit, they did play really well. They pressed really high, which um, if you get the high press against City, I think that's the only way you can really beat them because um, that'll rattle them and it won't let them play their game. But if they're having an on day and they can go through your press, then you're going to have like a very bad day. Yeah, but it was just not one of those days for them. Yeah, it kind of shows other teams like how to play against Man City. Obviously, you could have the same strategy every single weekend against them, but you have to... like put it to good use right you can't just be like okay this is how we're gonna play high press and like we're gonna do really well and like they're gonna not gonna score against us like yeah you have to actually perform it too right and like um like make yeah make the tactics like that you practice in um in training like make it work obviously so that's credit to brentford i think and um and their coaching staff there for getting the best out of their side um that puts brentford i think around the top 10 yeah 10th place so um, unbeaten in three, so for uh, Brentford, so that's a good little jump for them up the table. Some other teams are slipping, like Chelsea, obviously Fulham. Uh, they're getting close to that. Chelsea that is place. really slipping. I didn't really want to say two it draws and three this losses early in the podcast, but let's just get to it. Chelsea's <laughs> one nothing loss against Newcastle again. It's Newcastle, so like it wasn't fucking Southampton, you know. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't Nottingham Forest. Okay, is the arguably you know the most informed uh, team in the Premier League right now, you know, five straight, well, my notes here, five straight wins, I think. Yep. Um, unbeaten in 11 matches. Like they're, they're on next level shit right now going into the world cup. So we talked about a couple episodes ago of teams wanting or not wanting the break to happen right now. Newcastle does not want the break to happen. Like they want to just keep rolling. They want mm-hmm. to hit the next competition. Like now, whether it be Carabao cup, FA cup, whatever it is, because they're just on a, on a mission right now. They're playing so good. Yeah. And I know again, it's it's my team, it's Chelsea's that has to you know 
be the ones to suffer the loss against them. But like, it's Newcastle right now. That's all I can say. Like we played like Chelsea played like shit. Like yeah, that, that also was a thing too. We played we couldn't score. We couldn't do anything. Couldn't really generate any any offense. And when we did, they weren't even like that high quality of chances. Uh, I, I think I've said it every episode since it's happened. The Reese James injury has been so big for Chelsea and for maybe we'll see for England too in the World Cup. But they generate so much attack through the flanks, through him, through even Showell being out now for the couple games that he is. When he's not involved, they just they're so one dimensional, and they just can't figure out any other way to generate offense. And it's so frustrating to watch because it goes back to like the Timo Werner days where I'm seeing like a false nine and they're trying to feed the striker deep and like cut the ball back to like no one being there and they it just doesn't work. And like mm-hmm. I it's to keep watching it week in, week out is very frustrating. And I mean, this is the first time Chelsea's had three defeats in a row, like since I can remember. And they're slipping down to eighth place right now. Like this like this is unknown territory to Chelsea, and it's just really frustrating to watch. Yeah. Uh it's it's really strange what's happening with Chelsea right now. I thought, you know, Grant Potter was doing a really good job. Um, but these three losses just kind of almost came out of nowhere for me. Um, and this, I wasn't really seeing this slip happening uh, for them. But, yeah, for me, Newcastle is, like, the real deal this season. Um, you know, they won, Eddie Howe won Manager of the Month. Uh, Amaron won uh, Player of the Month and Goal of the Month. Um, so, like everything is just going their way right now and they're they're playing really good football uh and it's it's probably going to be one of those things where um you know they had this resurgence and it's like when Leicester they won the title and then they were just season after season they were consistently competing for top 4 I do see a similar situation happening with Newcastle but I think it's going to be more sustainable for them uh because they have Eddie Howe and they had they have the new owners, obviously. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of, you know, we have Newcastle at the top of the table. They're just another big team that's going to be competing for the top four. So in so many words, you just said Newcastle is going to win the EPL this year. No. Like no. <laughs> I said they're going to consistently compete for top four. They weren't 5,000 to one, though, I don't think. No, not the that, way not that big. No. <laughs> I just think, I, I mean... It's tough to say about this season in particular. We we saw it last year with the influx of money coming in, and like what Eddie Howe could do with three quarters of a season, and now he brought Newcastle from basically relegation to finishing wherever they finished ninth or something or eighth, eleventh, whatever it was last year. So like you can kind of see the the steps being taken like last year, and then with a full season under his belt now, finally getting you know his like ample amount of time with the club, finally getting his own transfers in because obviously Steve Bruce was there at the beginning of the season last year. Mm. So making his system work from the beginning of the season till now, you can really see the players adopt to him. Salta talked about the podcast last weekend, um, high performance. They talked about, I think they interviewed Eddie Howe, right? Mm-hmm. So did you listen to more of that? Or? Uh, I listened to a little bit more. So got to finish all of it. Um, but yeah, just his philosophy on what he, you know, does with the team and does with the players. Um, I don't think I mentioned this last time, but just how in-depth at least he goes. I don't know how other managers do. I'm sure some do, like top managers. But literally analyzing every single, like, main thing of, like, a match day and managing your players. Like, how to give a – like, what to do during your pre-game talk, halftime talk, post-game talk. How you actually manage your players. How to actually dive in and have, like, really close relationships with your players to get the best out of them. Uh, that was cool um, and interesting to to listen about. 
I think in all professional sports, we've seen more and more of like player coaches emerging as opposed to like the dictator coach that we've seen in the past, like the Mike Babcocks. Hey, Phil, like how did that kind of, how'd that turn out? Yeah. Terrible. So like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, like that style of coaching is like, so like ancient now. And it's all about like developing player, like relationships because players are more outgoing. Players have more social media presence than ever before. Players have more um, personalities, bigger egos than ever before. So it's like not just you're coaching like the players on the on the pitch like tactically, but you're coaching their personalities like in the locker room too. Not let anyone get too much like too bigger than the club, kind of that whole um that whole like way of dealing with it. So yeah, like Eddie Howe being like in his mid forties, I believe, or something like that, like obviously helps. Yeah, um, I don't he can, know how these you know adapt to the players and like you know be more understanding than let's say a Steve Bruce or um I don't know. Sam Allardyce or something. You know, I mean, these guys just don't connect with, like, the modern-day player, I don't think. So, for him, and same with Arteta, too. Like, obviously, Pep. Like, those guys have been in the game before. Same with Eddie Howe. He obviously played for Bournemouth as well. So, just being familiar with, like, being a player coach first and then being, like, you know, a tactical coach second, it obviously, like, starts to work out and benefit the team. Sorry, quick segue into... Um, something that I saw, which was interesting, that kind of goes into what you said about players, where and players getting bigger than the clubs and how it's just different. Um, I don't know if this is this is actually true. You know, saw it on on Twitter, so take, take it's got to be, be true. That what are you um, talking but about? no, it it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me because I think um, one Juve had the match fixing scandal and they went down. Um, I think Alex Ferguson approached Del Piero. Uh, to go to Man U. Um, and I guess Del Piero said, like, no, like, Juve's hurting. I'm the captain. Like, I that. need to stay. I need to stay. Which, it's just a different breed of players back then where they were so committed to their club. Like, I think of Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, uh, all those guys that were Maldini. just, like, yeah, like the super one club, loyal. The one club guys. Yeah. Um, so, I think that style of management fit that era because players it, it was like it felt like players were more committed to their clubs you know at a heart level for at that time where now you see players like switch and go from Man U to Chelsea Man U to Man City um like that would never happen back then but now you have yeah. players just just making those those changes well because back then in the 90s and like early 2000s they didn't have like player merchandising deals or player endorsements like they do now obviously so it's yeah. like you like you winning for the club is like the biggest thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Like you winning the Champions League or you winning your title is like all you like fight for and like all you like want to achieve. But now it's like I want to be like the biggest star in the world. I want to get my endorsement deals. I want, yeah. I want Nike to sign me. I want to be on the poster. I want to be on the New York Times billboard. Like I want to, you know, that's like I want to be this me 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 me. But before it was like I want the club to win. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I want Arsenal to win in the '90s with Henri. I want Del Piero to win with Juve in the '90s. Like that's was like the shit Shevchenko like that's like you were there for the club and that's just a dying breed of player now Mm -hmm. I think yeah but also like I don't know I feel like nowadays like you just look at like the background and where they came from you're like yeah makes sense that he he just he's going for the paycheck here Mm -hmm. and it's not about like the love for this club and it's like you look at his family status and things like that and it's like oh that makes sense like you want to like it's not like he wasn't a homegrown academy product and he lived and breathed Chelsea and mm-hmm. just I don't know I feel like it has a lot to do with it as well that something that we don't really talk about it's like what are their motivations because like as fans 
we take it over the top. But as some of these athletes, it's like after the game, oh, we're going out to dinner. Mm-hmm. It's life, you know, it's mm-hmm. and then for fans, it's complaining for three days until they play the next match. <laughs> yeah. And then if it happens again, then it's like another week of stewing in a loss. <laughs> but these athletes, it's like, that's a job yeah. for a lot of them, for most of them. Yeah. Like it's a, like I said, it's a, a rare find to have that one that's like lives and breathes the club. And we are seeing yeah. it more and more of like the youth academies, like kind of not being as prominent as they used to be. Like they're mm-hmm. still around. Obviously, you get like the random couple guys get through. Like I mean, like Mason Mount came through Youth Academy, went to Derby County for a little bit. Polistic was there for a little while with Chelsea Academy, Reese James, but it's not like the majority of the club anymore. Like as like what it used to be. Because then mm-hmm. now they've learned to monetize it, and mm-hmm. we can develop and then sell. So yeah, we yeah. can make money off of it. Like that's kind of the I think that's way. where a lot of <laughs> academies are going now. Yeah. So and we're seeing they can, it, we're seeing they it more can, and more with like the middle yeah they of can the cash tier. in on their young stars. Yeah. Look at what Chelsea did with um, was it Casade or whoever from Inter, Inter's youth academy that Chelsea signed someone for like fifteen million. Never played a first team oh, I don't know. minute. Yeah, you know who it is. Okay, anyways, that's that's the point right there. So Inter mm-hmm. got 15 million from Chelsea for a player that didn't play from their first team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can see how these clubs was like, yeah, okay, we just develop them and then we make a free 15 mil off that. Yeah. Like and I said, it's kind of like, like middle tier teams we see it more often like um like West Ham was like a big one for the early 2000s. Like West mm-hmm. Ham developed a ton of players. Yep. Uh, like Joe Cole, Lampard, uh Rio Ferdinand, all these guys were there, like Mark Noble, like Anton Ferdinand, Anton Ferdinand as well. Yeah, it's so like a ton of guys came through the West Ham Academy. Southampton's obviously breeded a ton of players too, and gave them basically all to Liverpool. So like, yeah, we see it happen all the time, like years and years ago, and like middle of the tier clubs with the top clubs, they just have the money to spend. Yeah, like you know, they just oh that player looks pretty good. Okay, we'll just buy him for 10, 15 mil. Yeah, and it's like okay, well you didn't. Like, yeah, you're buying him for that amount of money. He's a young kid, but he hasn't grown up in the culture of your team. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what it is to be a Tottenham Hotspur. He doesn't know what it is to be like an Arsenal player. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, it's it's not the same, right? Yeah. And to to that point, what I what I started kind of thinking about was, you know, Sadio Mane is a prime example where, you know, he, he wasn't get the focus on his contract like... Um, that Salah was getting, so he he wanted to leave. At least that's what people say. Um, but my whole thing is in negotiations with funds, and it was always tough for me to understand. Like you know, if you're making like three hundred k a week, and you want to make you know four hundred k a week, and it's like you'd leave clubs because because of that. But you know, I don't I don't know the lifestyle of a lot of players. But for example, Sadio Mane is like supporting his entire village that he came from, right? So it's like how much. Um, do players like that, especially ones that come from, you know, smaller communities in third world countries, how much of their uh, pay and their terms in their contracts have to do with how they're supporting people back home? Like, how much does Sadio Mane have to make where he understands, like, I need to make this amount of money. Otherwise, like, I'm not going to be able to support my village as much as, you know, I feel like I need to for them to actually survive. So that's kind of a, like a new perspective I didn't think about. Um, you know, I Obviously, I don't think every single player does that. I think, you know, a lot of them are just 
No, they're, they're living, buying living, Bugattis and Lamborghinis. Living the, living the lifestyle, <laughs> but uh, that is all like one thing for me to always consider when uh, you know you have players fighting for certain uh, pay, I guess thresholds, uh, and what it's actually going to. I think it was from a few years ago. I saw a picture or a video of Mane coming off the team bus, and he had like a cracked iPhone yeah. or something. You see that? Yep. And they're like, he makes this much money. He's got a cracked iPhone. Like, it's like the tag was like, um, like materialistic things don't matter to Saudi Mane or something like that. I'm like, he could have just broke it like a minute ago. Like, you know, yeah. You don't like he's not probably living it there for like three months. Like a cracked iPhone. Like, just dropped it on the steps. Yeah. He's like, oh <laughs> shit! Like it had just happened. Then gets a picture taken. I don't you like, never know. Literally, literally, I don't. Yeah, he's probably not living with it. it costs like what, like a thousand dollars max for a brand new phone. Yeah, like, probably very insignificant to him. Yeah, he'll play twenty five minutes and like that's his paycheck for a thousand dollars. Right, cash it in. Um. So yeah, I mean, like I said, Newcastle in in third place right now. They're, I mean, we'll see how far they can really push push the title. Uh, hopes for them. They're seven points back from Arsenal. They played one extra game, so that's kind of. The, the difference there, the little discrepancy. Um, but I mean, they're right on the heels of Man City. Uh, they're they're the head of Tottenham, head of Man U, Liverpool. A lot of clubs behind them, looking up at the top of the table at them. They're in third place, saying, "Shit, I wish that was us." Um, Newcastle on the heels of Man City. Can you imagine last year? God someone no, said man. that was going to happen. In relegation. <laughs> we're talking about Man. We're talking about Newcastle not wanting to get relegated because of how Crazy. historic of a club they are. Now look at them now. So. Um, I mean, we'll go to uh, we'll go to Arsenal right now. It's in top of the table still. Do you something? Well, I was just gonna say like I was gonna segue into Arsenal. Um, okay, yeah. Are they the favorites now? Well, I think they have been really. <laughs> Wait, Arsenal the favorites or yeah? Uh, Phil's shaking his head. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I don't know if they're the favorites. I guess like I mean at the beginning of the season, I'm not I'm not sure what the odds were to win the title, but I don't think Arsenal might have. I don't think Arsenal would have been the top two. Top two mm-hmm. probably been like Liverpool and City, yeah. Um, but at this point in the season, I mean, they have they faltered the least, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. they have the one loss to United, obviously, only one other draw. I'm not sure who that was against, but um, I've been against Brentford or something. Oh, I can remember. But they um, lost to Man U and yeah. drew at Southampton. Is that what it was? There we go, Southampton. <laughs> Southampton away. Um, so other than that, twelve wins, like that's a pretty impressive run of form yeah yeah um my whole thing is that they haven't played city yet uh at all so that's that's the only caveat for me where they the man city arsenal haven't played each other it's gonna be a huge that's a huge swing of points for what happens uh in those games um we we're supposed to have one of them already got postponed so that's that's my only caveat is that they have to play each other first gonna dictate what was Phil pointing at? Oh, Arsenal Milan. Friendly. Is that that is it? Yeah, oh, friendly. Dubai oh. friendlies or Qatar friendlies with Liverpool, Milan, and Arsenal. That's hilarious. Can't wait to watch those. Why are they doing that? Just to keep some I think players to keep in the form? rest of the players informed. I would hate that. Imagine <laughs> like being called back, like you're on vacation for yeah, weeks, but and then it's warm weather, I guess. And oh, it's away though. It's in a. They're good... in Dubai or oh, Qatar. Are they? It's yeah. It's they're somewhere in. I don't know where, somewhere in the Middle East, but oh, yeah, Al, yeah, not even gonna pronounce that. Maktoum? Yep. Al Maktoum Stadium in Dubai. 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 Fifteen thousand capacity. Nice little stadium. I think it's like Bournemouth. I feel like the Italian teams have played their Super Cups there. If I'm not mistaken, because that's where the money's at. Super Cup. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But all Arsenal, they 
they're in all the competitions. I think they're actually out of the the league, the EFL Cup, which okay. is I think is that the Carabao Cup? Yeah, is that yes, the new. <laughs> so definitely out of that. But strange still, things still happen in those yeah. weeks where it's the three days plus Europa League, and then throw an FA Cup. Like, do they have the squad depth to get over all of those competitions? Where a city they can put three elevens basically on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't a drop off. So that'll be interesting to see. Like, I still have City as favorites until they lose. Like, until they lose the title, I'm not counting them out because they've just mm-hmm. shown the last few years that they are a powerhouse. And Arsenal hasn't shown yet that, that yet, but anything can happen. I just don't think they have enough mm-hmm. to take City mm-hmm. as the favorites right now. Arsenal definitely are like the new kids on the block, I guess, when it comes to like title contenders for the season. And we again kind of similar to Newcastle. We saw the progression of last year. Like last year they started started off in relegation zone as well. And throughout the course of the entire year they were able to make it into Europa League. They kind of faltered the last couple of weekends of the of the season there. They were in a Champions League spot and they ended up dropping to fifth place, I think, on the second last or the last uh, match of the season. But um them for them to be back in European football is obviously impressive for them, and like I said, they haven't really done enough to like worry me this year. Like every game that they play, that they end up becoming winners. Like they're pretty dominant in the games. Like, they've had a mm-hmm. couple of squeaky ones. I think against Fulham, they scored uh, late, like in the 80th minute or 90th minute, to get a win there um, against Fulham. But other than that, most of their wins have been pretty convincing. And the point of having squad depth, I mean, that's. Even even Man City, they they could still falter towards the end of the season, right? You never know what's going to happen post World Cup. Obviously, like I wouldn't players... be surprised to see Arsenal win the title. It's not like it'd be like, oh my god, yeah. But you're happen. saying like you don't know if they're the actual like. I just don't think. And like you favorite. said, like who knows how everyone's going to come back? And mm-hmm. like you just let's say you had a huge run in going to the final, and like that motivation, and then you got to go back, and then it's winter time. It's like how is that going to affect? players and like can they rev it up again things like that so it'll be interesting to see because it's never happened before so no one really has any evidence Mm -hmm. to be like yeah it took us a month and a half to really find that groove again really get back mentally we we just don't know we're gonna find out Mm -hmm. and see who can bring it back up but like all these teams that are riding hot streaks are they gonna bring it in post world cup so it'll be cool to see Mm -hmm. but well, like we saw it last year, actually beginning of the season after the European, uh, their European Cup with how far England went. Harry Kane had a terrible start to the year last year. Same with Saka, yeah. like with, his, with his whole, you know, shit that happened to him and being the last penalty kick taker, obviously, and his confidence like level just dwindled down to nothing. So like Saka started off bad, Arsenal started off bad, Tottenham started off middle of the table. Kane didn't score for the first like six, seven games coming off yeah. the European Cup. So we saw with Italy's qualifying campaign too. After exactly the same kind of thing. Well, Sorry to bring that back into the fold here, <laughs> but like you saw how they couldn't replicate yeah, I mean, it's, what we, they did in the summer. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've seen it before, like all different kinds of sports, like the like the post-championship hangover kind of thing. Like you just kind of play like shit your first few weeks or months, but in the world of football, we've touched on, touched on it so many times before, the beginning of the season is very crucial because every game really counts. Mm-hmm. Like we said with Liverpool's case at the beginning of the year, they were so bad that now at this point in the year, they finally put a couple of strings of wins together. They're still 15 points off the lead. Because they had, you know, two wins from seven or whatever it was in their first seven or eight games. So, I mean, it really does affect you at the beginning of the season, how you end up with, with the end of the season. 
And again, like in Arsenal's case, they've just been on a tear right now. Like again, the one loss to Man U, let's just call it a fluke for them, maybe, because every other game that they've played, they've been the dominant team. Yeah. Um, we were kind of um, mistreated to the Arsenal Man City game that would have happened a couple weeks ago due to scheduling conflicts. Um, but like, that would have been nice. Like, I think yeah. it would have been last Tuesday or something or 10 days ago, whatever it was. Um, but obviously that game didn't happen, so that would get rescheduled some sometime later on. But that could be, you know, imagine they reschedule that for the last week of the season or something. Like, just to be like assholes. Like, they just put it as like the May. They flex it. Tw- yeah, yeah, they flex it like the May 27th game or something. Just to really see like what's going to happen towards the end of the table. I mean, it. we've seen it a lot where it's come down to the final day. I've still never seen it where it comes down to the final day and the teams. Between the two teams. Like, that, that'd just be one of the books to have that happen. At least once. They would do it. Like, they would. We'll the say, FA, yeah, the FA this totally year, Juve, Milan play in the second last game of the year. And I think it's the anniversary of their Champions League oh, shit. game at uh, Old Trafford. So, like, that's a that's based, that could be a title decider on the second last well, day. Yeah. Yeah. You also don't up. see, like, like you don't really see the Liverpool-Man City on the last day of the year. No. Yeah. I think they do it on purpose. It's more Man City versus QPR. <laughs> I just watched those highlights the other day. Still blows my mind. Dad. Yeah, how crazy that was! Like the fans yeah. were just like dejected, and then it was a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> so good. I see it come up all the time, all the time. No, it's definitely so, one to watch. I was watching the uh, Gundogan one. Actually, I've been watching that more than the QPR one. Yeah, with last, uh, year. last year, that was just—it's <laughs> almost like I can't believe it happened twice. Almost but basically they, the same thing. Yeah, but the QPR yeah. one was like. That, that was because that was the first one. That was the first, and just the everything. And that was that was last minute, ninety something. Yeah, whatever minute they last scored. kick of the game, right? Like the, yeah, the one in the whole crowd just ran on the field. Yeah, it yeah. was done. Yeah, where this, you know, they saw a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Granted, not a lot, done a lot, but it wasn't last gasp. And Balotelli had a hand in that too, which is nice. He doesn't make if he doesn't make that pass. Yeah. Um. There's no there's no goal for for Aguero, no win for Man City. Um, so yeah, Arsenal's they're looking pretty they're looking pretty dominant, looking pretty scary. Uh like I like I think Joe's been, you know, preaching it for a while now. It, this is gonna be really like a tale of two seasons. Um normally we see it happen like from beginning of the year to the Christmas break is like one half of the year, and then you have the January transfer market, and then you have February until May and June. But this one is gonna really throw a wrench into it because you're literally not playing football for an entire month. Yeah, of the schedule. It's kind of similar to I know there's the COVID break back in 2020, where it, they didn't play the whole season. Then teams came back. And it's like, oh, it feels like a brand new season. Everyone was just on a different pace than what they were before. So it'll more than likely it'll probably be something like that, and you'll just see everyone's in different form after the mm-hmm. World Cup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it can, yeah, it could definitely swing one of two ways. Like. You have an amazing World Cup. You're riding high. You come back. You kill it for your team, or the exact opposite. You have defeat, crushing defeat. Again, all these guys are, are obviously English that play for these sides. England's got a pretty good squad. They can make it far again, and then you never know what's going to happen. They could just, you know, deteriorate mm-hmm. in the final couple of games of the of the World Cup, and then just you know come back home and have to perform in front of all these fans again. So we'll see how it goes. Um, like obviously, you know, if you look towards the top of the table, a lot more players are involved in these in these big teams and big clubs going to their individual countries and all that too so a lot of national pride to be coming out too it'll be nice to see like we touched on Saudi Amani obviously mm-hmm. um you know playing for Senegal Senegal yeah um Edward Mendy obviously they're from Chelsea too so we'll see a lot of EPL um action 
in the World Cup. But I think one of the last things we'll talk about here before we wrap up the uh, Premier League was the whole Ronaldo, Manchester United, Piers Morgan interview. Yeah. Um, I mean, where do we start? Like a lot of a lot of things being said uh, about Ronaldo. A lot of truth. I look, I think that's kind of the whole premise of him coming out and doing this interview was that there's a lot of press being said about him. A lot of things in the media maybe getting it the wrong way or only getting it from one side. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo comes out, you know, face to face with Piers Morgan, one of the biggest voices in, in the UK media. And he tells him how it is. And mm-hmm. Piers Morgan asks some pretty tough questions and Ronaldo wasn't shy to answer. And I think the biggest takeaway was the fact that he feels betrayed by Ten Hag and feels betrayed by the United executives and their brass. Um, he thinks that the club isn't ready per- to perform in the next couple of seasons. The the youthful players there don't have a lot of heart in the team. They don't, you know, play with passion like they should. And he thinks that they're way behind the curve of the Man Cities, the Liverpools, the Arsenals. Yeah. I mean, we see that obviously on like the, the score sheets every game and every weekend that goes by that United isn't really, you know, up to snuff, if you want to call it that. Um like with the way with with the performing, but to hear it coming from a player who's like in house, because mm-hmm. all we can do is just like see what happens on the field, see what we read in the media, and then just kind of make our own uh, conclusions and assumptions. But Ronaldo's like, no, like this shit's happening, like behind the yeah. scenes, like this team is like not good. Yeah, like, this club is not who they used to be. And I mean, I don't know if it's good timing before the World Cup for him to come do this, or if it's bad timing before the World Cup to come out and say this. But yeah, nonetheless, he did it. It's out there, and everyone's talking about it. So, what's your guys' opinions on it? Yeah, um, you know, I definitely feel for Ronaldo here. Um, I think he's just, you know, being transparent about what's going on there. And it's kind of a sense that we've had so far with Man U about how just something's systemically wrong with the club. Um, and they're not where they used to be. Um, I don't really understand what's going on with Ten Hag and him. Like, I don't know if like pure speculation i don't know if it's like an ego thing with ten hag like no like we don't need ronaldo we're like the new man you like he's still your best striker you know and when he's especially when he's playing well he delivers and he scores goals like that's just what he does so i don't really understand why he's not getting a lot of playing time and i i just don't see a reason for it like why why aren't you playing your best striker like you're trying to trying to build the, the a new man you but you can you can integrate Ronaldo to still get results and build your team at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. It's probably an ego thing. Yeah. Must be. I know there's a lot of people like, oh, Ronaldo's being a problem. I forget who said that, but at the end of the day, like you are still Ronaldo and you are, like you said, Man U's probably best striker right now. Um, So the fact that he's getting pushed out of the club is very strange. Uh, Like, obviously you could still use him. Um, And just... All the stuff that's come out, like I know Sanchez had issues when he went there. Mourinho said, like, oh, getting second with this team was like one of the greatest achievements I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, Zlatan said, like, so if everyone's who <laughs> goes in there that's like relatively blank is like saying, like, there's issues. Um, yes, they all of them are big egos, but you know, someone I know says, like, there's the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Like they probably have a lot of issues internally. Like obviously everything's not good at Man U and there mm-hmm. are a lot of um, egos probably in the boardroom and in the higher ups that just want the club run a certain way. And 
just want to push out anyone that doesn't align with them. So mm-hmm. who knows? We can speculate all we want, but we probably would never know what's going on in the back offices of menu. Well, this is the most true. Well, I, I say truthful with like quotation marks, the most truthful information we've received like about United. Cause mm-hmm. like, again, like what they portray in the media is what the club wants you to see. Right. Like it takes, like we've seen it before. Like it takes a player to come out and say like what's actually happening behind the scenes. Like a coach won't come out and say that a, uh, an executive, a coaching staff, someone behind the scenes won't come out and be like, Oh yeah, the team's shit right now. Isn't it like, crazy? Like how, like he just came out and did this. Yeah, I've never like, seen anything like, a like this. Well, there's there's like reasoning. This. Yeah, but it's, and I know it's... he came out and said on Instagram like the truth will come out. Yeah, and it's all gonna come out at once. So like, we just didn't know how he was gonna do it. But like, it's crazy that we got an hour long, well, two hour long interview. I'm actually oh, got it's, it. Though. It's amazing for content like to see how it actually is behind the scenes. But like, put yourself in his shoes. Like, obviously, it's hard to do that, but. You're getting talk shit about from tons of people who don't know anything. Millions and millions and yeah, millions and, of people every single day. And you have, you know, professional pundits on like the Sky, you know, shows and Sky reviews and whatever, football today, all that kind of shit, saying how, like, what's wrong with Ronaldo? He's doing this. He's lazy. He's not motivated, whatever. It's like, you don't know what is actually happening to Ronaldo. So he, he's reading this all in the tabloids and the headlines. He's seeing it on TV. So he took it upon himself to say, okay, I'm going to have a sit down and say what act is going on. It's not just yeah. me. Like this club is a pile of shit is basically what he's coming out saying. We've only seen the first uh, part one or whatever it is of this documentary or uh, interview, but like it's pretty glaring things that he said so far. Yeah. Saying how like the Glazers never, you know, come and talk to him or anything. Even like when he came back and re-signed yeah, that the club. Was, that was weird. Like, don't you think you're, he's arguably one of the biggest names to ever play for your team. And like, you just brought him back for the first time in 15 years. But that yeah. also shows like, it's like shouldn't you the dysfunction? Show, like, yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. But the Glazers won't come out and say anything bad about it, obviously. They don't want to paint the club in a bad I way. I they want to do anything. Probably not. But I'm right. saying it's so it's for the for the fact that he took it upon himself to sit down and say, hey, like I'm gonna set the story straight from my side of things. You guys do what you want to do now. Like I've said what I believe is happening. Well, he's done. Well, most likely, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's like this is like, it. This this was like the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and, and I, then yeah. he should have been gone in July and August. I'm you would think so. Yeah, get a deal done. He wanted to leave. Well, then where was was it on his part or the club's part? Well, I, I part can kind of see it from the club. It's like we paid for him. We're paying his wages. I want something for him. I think but he other teams one... are like, well, we can't afford his wage on top of a transfer fee. Yeah. Like well, a yeah, lot of teams his... coming out of COVID and like yeah. just starting to like get their books back in order. Like how many teams could City, I guess, but he's not. He wouldn't go there. I think PSG, he would, he would probably leave England. Bayern, that yeah. kind of goes against a lot of their transfer policies of going after... Milan? I <laughs> would take it. I'm not going to lie. We uh-huh. have a 41-year-old Zlatan, a 36-year-old Giroud. Why not add a 38-year-old Ronaldo <laughs> to round it all out? Why not? I well, mean, do they, do they have the budget score for that, in the league. And, uh, do, they, do they have the budget for that? If he takes a massive pay cut, <laughs> if United covers the costs of his contract for the rest of the year, it could be that but bad. If like, they terminate his contract and he says, "Okay, well, I'm now I kind of have to," like, but also with with the, with him leaving, United's not just losing the talent; they're also losing like, uh, what's it called? Like uh, sponsors, not sponsors, like um, like the brand George, identity, yeah, the brand, the brand like, yeah, yeah, like 
when he came back and signed with them again, those jersey sales were like the biggest man news had since I think he was there the last time. So like that's we, we touched up we touched on it before like how Man U runs the team more like a business than like a football club that wants to get wins. They just want to get publicity. They want to get endorsements. They want to get they got brand recognition. Sales, yeah, they got them. But I'm saying if he leaves, they're gonna be like, oh well, there goes our projected forty million dollar ticket from next season or something. But clearly though, they wanted him out in the summer as well. They just couldn't make it happen. Like if it was up to Ten Hag, he would have been gone, I guess. But like Santo was saying, like it's kind of mind-boggling that you couldn't integrate a legend like that like someone mm-hmm. with that work ethic and you you can't say that he's lazy just look at him i know like yeah. i i can i guess body language things like that but like it's kind of hard to see how they couldn't integrate his style and like his knowledge of the game into that team mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. those youngsters like you'd think coming to the training ground every day. It's like, okay, hey, Ronaldo does this. Ronaldo does that. Like we see it with other veteran players that, okay, they sign somewhere and they just, they take everyone under their wing and they learn from them. And I just found it kind of odd how like Ten Hag went there and it just like, now he's not in the plans and things like that. Like it just, yeah. I don't know, legends like that. It just hard for me to see it end like that. Yeah. When- Go ahead. Yeah, and I was gonna say like he's wait he's thirty seven. Like he he obviously doesn't have like a ton of more time in the EPL. Like why why turn it into this? if you're ten out you go and be like oh no like we're we're the new man you like we're not gonna integrate Ronaldo like you have a few years like get all the positives you can out of the guy while you're there you're rebuilding the team it's not gonna happen overnight you need a few seasons get what you can out of the guy build this team like he obviously has been successful so why do you not use that to your advantage while you have him i don't know very very strange on my end um i just i just don't get it like love to hear ten hags like actual thoughts and see what he says um that's why next, I like these the long next interviews. interview with well, that's Ted why, Hag and yeah, Piers Morgan. Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. Like, I lo- I like seeing these long interviews, so you get like the full context of things in the media. You get like little snippets of what people say. These full interviews, you actually get all the context and see what someone's personality is like and get the full story. Like, if we can hear Ten Hag talk for two hours to someone like Piers Morgan, one on one too. Yeah, then you get a you get a sense of what they're doing, and we could probably like really understand what's happening there, but. I don't know. I right now I find it really hard with Ten Hag and what's going on there. Yeah, because the majority of the times that we do see managers speak, it's behind a press conference where there's yeah. twelve. You know, and they uh, don't even want to be there anyways. Yeah, there's twelve writers that are there or twelve people in the media, and they you know answer a couple questions each. They're there for fifteen minutes, and they get the fuck out. Like a two hour sit down one on one is very different. That's why Joe Rogan's podcast is so successful because yeah. it's like a three hour long podcast. They shoot the shit, but whatever the hell they want to talk about, and then they just yeah. go their way. And I think with the Man U case, with I mean, Ronaldo even touches on it too a little bit during the interview. When Ralph Ragnick got appointed there last year, it was like Ronaldo looked at it saying, "Like, who is this guy? Basically, like, we don't like he's not an actual coach. He has no pedigree, has no success really. He's not a full time manager. He's more of an executive, and he's coming to run the club. So he was kind of confused by that, is what he says basically in the interview. And then from Ten Hag's point of view. He wants to play like high pressure, like youthful attacking movements, which is like when Ronaldo's not doing that. Like not, Cristiano Ronaldo's not going to go high pressure, run his ass off, seventy five minutes a game, and expect it to be like perform that way. That's not mm-hmm. what he does. He's not. He's never done that. He needs the ball at his feet. He creates chances. He scores goals. That's what. He, that's what he does. 
So I just think from a chemistry standpoint or from like a tactical standpoint, I think him and Ten Hag don't agree basically on like his style of play mm-hmm. or like what he, like the situation that he'd be used in. And I think that could be hurting them too. Yeah. Like he's like probably saying like, hey, I've done this for almost 20 years now. Like I'm pretty fucking good at what I do. Yeah. Let me do what I do. And Ten Hag's like, no, I want you to do this. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, with the Ragnick thing, I, I don't know if I brought it up in the summer when I was here. Um, the COVID break, there's a lot of rumors with Milan and their head coach. And, like, they brought Pioli in, was it October 2019? Coach got fired. Okay, they bring him in. They got pounded 5 nothing by Atalanta on the last game of the before the winter break going into 2020 like five nothing it was the worst loss and then slowly january and february and it changed and right after that atalanta game they brought ibra back and i don't want to like put it all on him but like like we were saying like bringing in that that knowledge and that pedigree does something to a young team okay and then fast forward to April that year during the COVID break, the rumors about Ragnick came out and how Milan is going ultra youth and Ivan Gazidis wants Ragnick and it's going to be like another revolution because they already, already had like four of them in the last five years. So <laughs> a uh, revolution every year. Basically, and that's why <laughs> they suck France? for the last 10 years. So anyways, they don't go with Ragnick. And like all these quotes are coming out and they stuck with their coach. And then Ibra even said, he's like, who is this Ragnick guy? I never heard of him. And then Ragnick comes out and he's like, oh, I wouldn't have bought Ibra and I wouldn't have brought in uh, Simone Kerr, another veteran, because I yeah. want to go youth, youth, youth. Yeah, exactly. But there's something to bringing in that veteran presence. And mm-hmm. even the players say it. Like we saw the way Ibra was every day. He was a maniac in training. And he brought it every single day, no matter that he was 39 years old and hurt and always injured. But he literally came every day and showed them how to work. Yeah. And I just found it weird how then like Ragnick goes to United and oh, a veteran in Ronaldo is there. And mm-hmm. like that clearly didn't jive. And then it's like, who is Ragnick again? Yeah. Like, is this guy even a coach? So it's just kind of funny how that happened twice and. But now we see it with Ten Hag. It's like, no, we just we're not gonna we're not gonna integrate him into our squad. And I think a big part of the Ronaldo signing was a business venture. Like they wanted to get money, right? They probably mm-hmm. saw the club going in decline. They probably said toward themselves, like, we're not gonna finish in the top four this year, but we need money still that as if we were gonna finish in the top four this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if they brought Ronaldo in from that point of view too, like a like a branding kind of thing, like we said. But yeah, like Ten Hag's like made his point, which is what we kind of said that a manager for Man U has to do. They have to put their foot down and establish themselves as like the main character in the story of Man U. Like they need to be mm-hmm. like, I'm the manager. This is how we're going to play. I need to have like carte blanche with like what I can do with the team. No other like outside sources like can dictate like what I want to do. This is what we're going to do. So if that's the case and he does have like a full, you know, control of the team. He doesn't want to play Ronaldo. He doesn't, he doesn't have to play him. There's no contract saying he probably has to play him. But it just does suck to see him suffer and not get playing time when obviously he still can't perform. Mm-hmm. Like, And we've seen Ten Hag before. Like He's he's not playing Harry Maguire. He didn't play Luke Shaw for a little Genius, while. Genius, though. Yeah, smart move. Thank God. <laughs> but, I mean, two more veteran players for United. I think Maguire's probably close to 30 by now. Um, but he's obviously not being played for many reasons. 
um, skill <laughs> or lack thereof is one of them. But yeah, he's not getting much playing time. We've seen um, Rashford be starting get... though against yeah. Iran. Get to that. <laughs> Sorry, um, it's just it's just so like, I know it's just so close, it's and you know happen. it's gonna I know. happen. I know. Um, I yeah, I just I do think it, it is kind of like Ragnik Ragnik and Ten Hag have like a philosophy of playing youth and developing that way because that's what he did at um at Ajax, and Ajax is kind of a club where we talked about you know they do develop players and they sell them off for bigger money. Man U, I think, isn't really the club to do that at. But if he can take young players and develop them and then just keep them in the system, that's obviously a huge benefit because then you have a new core of players that grow up together that are in their low to mid-20s that can play for X amount of years together. They don't really need a 37-year-old to be taking away playing time from a 23-year-old that could be getting more PT to develop and become better, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do we know? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) What do we know? But, I mean, it's... In a weird way, like United has kind of turned the season around a little bit. They are in fifth place right now. Europe, yeah. the last spot for Europe in the Premier League table, uh, just three points back of Tottenham for the last uh, Champions League position. So for them to get back in there would obviously be huge, and to try and maintain that spot. But they got Liverpool on their tails behind them. We'll see how they have a resurgence maybe after the World Cup. Brighton's there in seventh place. Chelsea, I don't know what the fuck's going on there, but um. No, the top of the table is still obviously pretty pretty tight. Only one or two wins away from basically jumping from first to fourth place. So we'll see how the uh, the table pans out. Bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest getting you know out of that bottom spot that they've held for a little while now. Um, Southampton dropping in there and kind of look like they're going to stay there. Three losses in a row. And Wolves, I mean, they, I should have bet on them at the beginning of the year. Hey, Santi, remember I told you yeah. that they're going to get relegated this year? New um, coach, though. Yeah, no, Julian new coach. Lopetegui. Yeah, so we'll see what he can do. Italian? No. Spanish. Spanish. Um, a Spanish guy's filling for a Portuguese guy. Like, what's going on there? Um, but yeah, look at Leicester, eh? 13th place now. Yeah. Getting out of that relegation zone. Everton creeping ever so close back down there. <laughs> when does uh, Frank Lampard... Get the boot? Yeah. If they two pro- weeks in uh, 2023, pro- if they if they were to probably get into the relegation zone and stay there for two weeks, he'd probably, yeah. he'd probably be gone. Connor Cody plays on Everton, correct? Yeah, another England player. Yeah, makes his way to the World Cup. That's great. Over Tamori, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about we'll that. Talk we'll about we'll that get after. to it. We'll get to it. Um, so yeah, so again, like we you won't hear from us from the EPL standpoint until after Boxing Day. It'll be a whole big ass recap, obviously yeah. coming your way. Yeah. Um, maybe do a couple separate shows again once once the World Cup's done. We'll maybe do like a review show. I'm sure we'll get to a couple episodes maybe during the World Cup too. Anything big happens. Um, recaps, upsets, you know, Canada's progression, English progression, see how they do there. But if you want to listen to that, we'll have another episode coming up soon for a preview show. But I mean, I think that's it, boys. You want to wrap it up right now? Yeah, we're good. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And we'll be back next month after all the Premier League action. See you, everyone. See you. Ciao. Ciao.